0: Welcome to the Two Journeys Podcast. This is episode 32 in the book of John, entitled, They Persecuted Me, They Will Persecute You, where we discuss John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today?
1: Well, this is the application, to, direct application to Jesus' intimate circle of, of disciples, of his apostles, getting them ready for the hatred and the persecution that they will most definitely experience as mm. faithful disciples of Christ. The more fruitful we are. We just talked last time about abiding in the in the vine and bearing fruit. The more fruitful we are, the more the world will hate us, the more Satan will be mobilized to crush us. Mm. And so he tries to get his disciples ready for a lifetime of suffering and persecution. So this is the consummation of one of the themes that we've seen here in John's Gospel, is that of division, of light and darkness, of believers and unbelievers, of those that love Jesus and those that hate him. And all that's gonna come crashing down on the disciples' head after Jesus ascends to heaven. They're gonna spread the Gospel and they're going to, all of them, die martyrs' deaths except John, who effectively died a martyr's death, although he, he died of old age in exile but all of them are going to suffer greatly. And so, in uh, the church for 20 centuries has suffered greatly and some of the worst suffering is yet to come.
0: Well, I'm gonna go ahead and read John fifteen eighteen through 27. So we have a sense of the passage that we're looking at today. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. from the beginning. This passage opens speaking about the world's hatred of both Jesus and his disciples. What does Jesus want his disciples to keep in mind when they are persecuted? And how is it comforting to know that we are suffering in the steps of Jesus Christ?
1: Well, it's vital for us to understand this um, because it really could be quite surprising and shocking. You think about the good news that we're really talking about here, that Almighty God, the creator of the ends of the, of the earth and of the, of the universe, is willing to be reconciled to us hmm. despite our sins to pour out on us an eternity of love if we'll just repent and believe in Jesus. That sounds wonderful. Let's go tell everybody. And out we go and we start getting pounded and destroyed and beaten up and it's like like bewildered. And, and Jesus wants to prepare them. He wants to get them ready for what they're actually going to experience. And he says, look at me. Mm. All I did is come and love them. All I did is come and tell them the truth, warn them if they're sinners, to repent. I healed them, fed them, loved them, lived a perfect life in front of them and they hate me. Mm. So they're gonna hate you too.
0: Mm. In verse 19, what does Jesus mean that the disciples are not of the world and how does one escape from belonging to the world?
1: Yeah, I think the word of here has to do with um, like origin and essential nature. Hmm. Um, We don't derive our essential nature we don't get our origin, our, our, the bent and direction of our life and our soul does not come from the world. Mm. And the world here it must be understood as that sinful, wicked concoction of Satan. That, that system of allurements and temptations and wickedness that pulls people to hell, pulls them to destruction. Not the, the planet earth that God does love and the human race that God loves in a big picture general sense. God so loved the world. Not that sense of the world. But the first John two, Uh, 15 said, do not love the world or anything in the world. The love of the uh, the world is a love of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. That's what the world is. Mm -hmm. It's all that corruption and wickedness and sin. And so you're not of the world means that's not who you are. You hate those things. You would like to be free from them forever. So you're not of the world any more than I am of the world, which is really quite remarkable. You know, he's saying that that you are as pure and separated from the world as I am. And, you know, if if you loved the world, the world would celebrate you and give Mm. you rewards and honors and put you up on its shoulders, but it hates you.
0: Mm. And why exactly would the world hate those who are not
1: of the world? Well, it's, uh, there's a lot of verses that tend toward this. Um, Jesus said to his, his brothers earlier in John's gospel, he says, you know, the reason the world hates me is I testify that what it does is evil. Hmm. So I, we're striking them right in their pride. Uh, First Peter says, they're surprised that you don't join with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. So you can imagine you're, you're in a situation and they're metaphorically passing the bottle and you won't take a drink. You, you, no, I, I won't. I can't drink. And they're like, why not? Hmm. What do you think we're evil to? And you think about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like they're angry at Lot saying he has come to judge us. So they feel guilty around him hmm. because he doesn't join in on what they do. So I think here's what it is. God has written in some sense his moral law in the heart of every human being. But people suppress the truth and unrighteousness, go into a pattern of wickedness. They celebrate other people who do it. They egg them on and want them to do it. Um, they they join in others that are doing it. They invent ways of doing evil, uh, et cetera. So when some body or some people breaks out from that and won't do it anymore and doesn't want any part of that, then they're gonna wanna hate them and pound on them.
0: Hmm. So there's a familiar kind of phrase here. We've talked about friends and servants before in John chapter 15, but I think this is a little different. How does the servant master argument in verse 20 work concerning persecution?
1: Yeah, no servant is greater than his master. So let's think of it this way. Um, There was definitely a hierarchy of, of essential uh, significance or rank in their culture. We Americans are very egalitarian. All men are created equal. Mm. And it doesn't matter who your father is, there's no landed gentry, there's no aristocrats. I mean, we are not like that. We are government of the people, by the people, for the people, we're very mm-hmm. egalitarian. Um, but in England and in Japan and in India, there's caste system and there's there's those that are, that are higher and those that are lower, those that are in charge and they're in the upper position, and then those that are servants, and and etc. So Jesus is actually speaking out of that system. All right, so you have, let's say, the head of an estate. You have a master, and then you have servants that are serving him. And you can imagine some enemy coming and spitting in the master's face and slapping the master and beating the master up, and the servants who he would see as below them, why would they expect to get better treatment? That yeah. would make no sense at all. Mm. So the servant's not greater than his master. If they're gonna beat me up, they're going to do the same to yeah. you as well.
0: That's helpful. So it was like, basically, why would you expect to be treated better, better than,
1: than me. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly that right.
0: That's helpful. Mm-hmm. So why, according to verse 21, does the world treat Christ's disciples this way? And how would the suffering of Jesus' disciples bring honor and glory? To
1: Jesus. Yeah. The fundamental reason that they treated Jesus that way is they didn't know who he was. Hmm. And um, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But Jesus says to his enemies, you do not know me and you don't know my father. If you did know me, we, you would love me. So this is the knowing at the deepest level. Hmm. This is the intimate covenant knowledge of which even marriage, married love is just a, a, a picture. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is the world doesn't know who Jesus is. Um, and you could say simply they didn't even know even like to put the right answer down on a test. They didn't even know at the simple factual level who he was. Mm-hmm. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They mm-hmm. thought he was the son of Joseph and Mary. So they don't know him and they don't understand who he is. Now when he comes in his glory, it says in Revelation one, behold, every eye will see him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. They are gonna know. He's gonna come on the clouds uh, with power and great glory, and they will be terrified of him. They'll know then who he is. But here he's God incognito. He's in a disguise. His glory has been laid by. He looks like an ordinary person, and here he's claiming to be God. And so they don't know him, and they don't know God either. And so that's why they're going to attack and persecute.
0: All right, now verse 22 seems difficult. Is it literally true that the world would not be guilty of sin if Christ had not come and spoken? How do you understand this verse?
1: Well, there's a basic principle of judgment that judgment's in proportion to knowledge. The more you know, the more culpable you are. Mm. And there's a gradation of knowledge. Some know more and others know less. So we get a strong indication of this in Matthew chapter 12 or, sorry, Matthew 11, when he says, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida. These are the cities in which most of Jesus' miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they wanted they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Mm. But as it is, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Why? Mm. Because you had more knowledge than them. And the same thing when he speaks about Sodom and Gomorrah and Capernaum. He says, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up into the skies? No, you'll go down into the depths. That's down into hell. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have remained till this time. They would have repented. But it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Hmm. So that's the same idea. If I had not come and spoken the parables and spoken the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and lived a perfect and holy life, they would not be, I don't think, not be guilty of sin in that sense, like any sin at all. I would think we might understand it this way. They would not be as guilty as they are because now that they have come and seen with their own eyes, the only begotten Son of God doing physical miracles in front of them, they are hugely guilty.
0: Hmm. And verse 23 goes on to say, whoever hates me hates my father also. Mm. As we look at verse 23, is it possible to love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet to hate Jesus Christ? It seems like the obvious answer would be no. And if, if not, where does this leave those Jews or even modern Jews who reject Christ?
1: Yeah, well, the answer is, according to Jesus, absolutely not. Mm. You can't love God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and hate Jesus Christ. And you do hate him if you don't believe that what he says about himself is true. Mm. And what he says about himself is that he is God. Before Abraham was born, I am. He claims to be the son of God. He claims to be one with God. I and the Father are one. You cannot love Jesus and not believe those things. But here's the thing. How do we even measure or even have a sense of the zeal that Almighty God, the God and Father of Jesus Christ has for his own son. He loves him with a a love we can't even possibly measure or imagine. It's, It's brighter and stronger, brighter than the sun, hotter than the sun, stronger than the sun's gravitational pull. It is this immense, powerful, fiery thing that the Father loves his own son. Well, imagine smashing the son out of the way mm. so that they can get to the father. No, no, if, if you attack my son, you're attacking me. So it's impossible. he says very plainly, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He, he is zealous that Jesus be honored and glorified as he is. Mm. So you asked a difficult and important question. What, where does that leave Jews? who really do believe that they're honoring the God of Genesis, the God who created heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but have no respect or no regard for Jesus at all. Well, according to Jesus, they are not loving God, Mm -hmm. and God does not love them. If they remain in that state, he is their enemy. And they are his enemies this is the clear teaching of the gospel of john i mean this is consistently uh, taught again and again and i know it's difficult you know post the anti-semitism that we have and the holocaust you know after the nazi era but none of that changes the theology of what jesus is teaching here you have to love jesus and believe in jesus in order to have a right relationship with god abraham would say that you know he said that in john 8 you know abraham if You know, if if you were Abraham's children, you would love me. But you don't love me. So you're not really Abraham's children. You're biologically descended from him, but you're Mm -hmm. not really his children. By the way, Paul covers that in Romans 9. You can be physically descended from Abraham and not really Abraham's seed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It talks about a a true Israel or, you know, who is actually of the people of God.
1: I mean, it goes through the whole logic. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. One of them clearly the child of the promise, and the other one wasn't. And Jacob had two sons, twins even. Same mother in that case, whereas Abraham <laughs> had two different women, Hagar and, and Sarah. But, but then the twins and, and Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was chosen and Esau wasn't. And so Paul uses that to, uh, to relate to unbelieving Jews. Just because you're physically descended from Abraham does not mean that you are in a right relationship with the God of Abraham. So before,
0: we talked about the words that Jesus spoke and how the things that He had spoken to these people really uh, heightened their responsibility to respond, either in belief or unbelief. Verse 24 talks about the works of Jesus, and you talked about this a little bit a moment ago, but how do Christ's miracles mentioned in verse 24 shed light on their guilt? What is Jesus teaching here?
1: Yeah. it's, again, the idea here is the greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. They were a select, you're talking about at most thousands of Hmm. people, tens of thousands, maybe tens of thousands at most, who actually saw Jesus do miracles. Okay, feeding the 5,000, probably if you work out women and children and all that, that's maybe 25,000 people. And there might have been the same people, the same crew day after day, you know? Um, But, you know, you could expand it out and double it, 50,000 people, all right? In in all of history, people estimate that there have been 10 billion people Hmm. that have ever lived. Most of them are alive right now. Um, And so you're talking about a vanishingly small, tiny, tiny percentage of all of the human race saw Jesus do miracles, they saw it with their own eyes. They're responsible, they're accountable. They saw these miracles and still they don't believe in him. They saw Lazarus raised from the dead and they don't believe in him. And Jesus says their guilt is great because the revelation of God's power is great. So the the greater the revelation of truth, the greater the responsibility on judgment day.
0: What does verse 25 teach us about rejecting Christ? And why do you think Jesus says it was written in their law, not just the law? What kind of indictment is this? Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, part of what they boast about in Romans chapter 2 is that they, they boast about the fact that they've been given um, the true embodiment of knowledge and truth in the mm-hmm. word of God. The law of Moses, the, the books of Moses and all that. They've received the actual word of God. problem is that it doesn't save them because they don't believe it. They don't follow it. And so fundamentally, he says, look at your own scriptures. You remember Stephen's message in, in Acts chapter 7. The, yeah. the, basically, the theme was, he said it, <laughs> oh, stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your forefathers did not persecute? And so Jesus said the same thing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. So the idea here is it's written in your own law how you reject God and you reject God's word. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about your, your ancestors who, who walked through the Red Sea. Most of them never made it in the promised land because they didn't believe in God. And so the idea here, this is a couple of the Psalms that are quoted here. They hated me without a reason. Um, again, we have the, the prediction of unbelief in Isaiah 53.1, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord uh, been revealed. Uh, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, this kind of thing. So their unbelief was predicted. And so Jesus is saying it's, it's fulfilled what is written right in the, the Word of God, as Paul said, that, that's read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Mm. It's just read right there that they aren't gonna believe the very things that, that God and told them.
0: Wow. In verse 26, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, whom he calls both the helper and the spirit of truth. Mm -hmm. What does it mean that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, and what does Jesus teach is the helper's role here?
1: Yeah, so the word, uh, in, in one translation, it says uh, counselor. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, this is where you get the paraclete word, the one called alongside to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, counselor would be somewhat like a lawyer, uh, somebody who comes to help you. Um, the third person of the Trinity has a number of, of names. And so um, here we get two of them. Neither one of them is the most common in Christian circles. So mm-hmm. counselor, uh, spirit of truth. Yeah. Uh, but the most common we know is the Holy Spirit, and so the idea here is there are different names for the activity of the of the um, of the um, the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, there's this big historical divide between the Eastern and Western churches that happened in the 11th century on the what's known as the Filioque clause, um, which is that the Holy Spirit in the in the in the uh, confession proceeds from the Father and the Son. And the Orthodox Church denied that he came from the Son, just the Father sends the Spirit. But if you look at this verse, it seems to be clearly teaching Mm. that Jesus will send the counselor along with his Father. So the Father and the Son together send the counselor. We also get it in John's Gospel later when he, after his resurrection, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Seems like Jesus is involved, like right. he's active. Yeah. So uh, the Father and the Son together mm-hmm. send the Holy Spirit. He will send um, the Spirit and he goes out from the Father. And then it is is what it says. Yeah. He will testify about me.
0: Yeah. And verse 27 goes on to say that the disciples are to work in harmony with the Spirit in this task of bearing witness yep. to Christ. Yep. What does it mean to bear witness to Christ? And mm-hmm. are we different from the original disciples that heard Christ in verse 27?
1: Yes, we are different. We're not eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're not, we, we don't, we're not proclaiming things that we have seen with our own eyes, heard with our ears, or, or uh, handled as Jesus said to Thomas, mm-hmm. because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, he also prays in the high priestly prayer in John 17. Uh, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their word or through their message. But the testimony is the, uh, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to speak what they believe, their convictions, they're gonna speak words of the gospel and they're gonna testify with or by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's beautiful at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, it, it says beautifully, the spirit and the bride say come. So the come is invitation, invitation Mm -hmm. to come to Christ, to come to heaven, to come to the banquet. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit, the bride is the church. And together, Mm. the Spirit and the bride together say to lost people, come to Christ. And so we have a role to testify. Get the same thing in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the witnesses, you're going to testify about what you believe about Jesus. But those aren't disconnected facts. You'll receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then also, at another time, you're going to be my witnesses. No, those things are absolutely connected. You will receive power through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Jesus. So. For me, in evangelism, this is the key, is go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Be fearless, be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, filled with love, joy, peace, patience. Go out to testify to the greatness of Jesus. Tell some miracle stories, tell some parables. You know, uh, explain the parables to the bewildered people who won't understand what the (laughs) parables are all about. Just talk about Jesus and tell great Jesus stories. And you're gonna get persecuted, but some people are gonna believe. Yeah,
0: and the confidence that we can have that we're partnering with the Holy Spirit in that work. is just incredible and encouraging, I think, for us as we go out. So, Andy... Any final thoughts on this passage? Right at the end he says uh, that you know they've been with him from the beginning, so that's part of, um, yeah. as he's sending them out, part of their story. Uh, but any final thoughts on this passage or that final comment Jesus makes? As yeah, that, that
1: comment, you know, when, when Judas hangs himself and he's out of the picture, he's not an apostle, they have to choose a replacement, and they choose somebody who had been with them the whole time that Jesus began to go in and out among them beginning from John's baptism. So that's so that they could be eyewitnesses. That's what he means. The history of Jesus they were eyewitnesses to the history, and that matters. And so for us, then, we have recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you know, in the Bible, we have the record of Jesus. And on the basis of that, we are able to go out and be witnesses. So what it says to me, and this is a good word to close with here, is, is in this section that we've studied today, we have war- warnings of a persecuting, hate-filled world. It's still true today. Mm. Most of the people that we're going to talk to will not come to faith, they will not believe. And they will oppose at some level, some of them energetically, some of them with some mean words. That's what we'll get in our country, mostly not physical assaults or abuse. Other countries there's open assaults and even martyrdom. Mm. But in this, the midst of this hostile world, by the power of the Spirit we must testify and see who will repent and believe and come to faith in Christ.
0: This has been episode 32 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for episode 33, entitled, Warning of Persecution, where we'll discuss John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for
1: listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes